Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. According to Galatians 5, you know, you can't inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, you live with your boyfriend or girlfriend. You guys are fornicating on a regular basis like y'all are married. You know no fornicating is going to inherit the kingdom. Oh, you are you going out with that person and they married. You know no adulterer is going to inherit the kingdom. I don't care how many times you prayed the prayer. I don't care how many times you walked down the altar. I don't care how many harvest crusades you went to. I don't care how many times they dumped you in the water. You ain't going to heaven like this. You have to repent of that. Today, Pastor Bill wants you to understand that you're responsible for what you know. When you come face to face, with the truth of your sin and choose to stay there, you're in open rebellion against the creator of the universe. Do you understand how eternally dangerous that is? If you die in your sin, when you could have been set free by humbling submitting yourself to the truth, you have no one to blame. Jesus will cleanse you of your sin. If you come clean and repent, are you willing? Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers, chapter 19, for today's edition of A Transforming Word. I know you're right, and I know you love me, and I know your way is the best way, but we don't want to be those that are fighting against the Lord. We want to be submitting to the Lord. So I would challenge you here, if there's any area of your life where you find that you're at war, no God says this and I keep doing that. I encourage you tonight that you would submit, that you would give that up. Don't fight God in any area. Every area of your life where you're fighting God, you're losing. You're losing. And so you want to give up ground to the Lord. That's how we win in the spiritual life. Just got to give up ground to you. You can have your way in my life. That's how we have victory. That's how we get to the place of walking in victory. And so now moving on, it says in verse 14, this is the law when a man dies in a tent. All who come into the tent... And all who are in the tent shall be unclean for seven days. And every open vessel which has no cover fastened on it is unclean. So now it says, uh, let's say, because people lived in tents and multiple people lived in tents. And let's, let's say you lived in a tent and you lived in a tent with grandma or somebody and somebody in the tent died. Now everybody that was under that tent is considered unclean for a period of time. You may have brushed up against them. You might have been in the tent trying to minister to them and help keep them alive. You might have been in the tent because y'all live together. In whatever case, if you were under that tent and anything in that tent that had a cover that was uncovered, was open, that's unclean too. All those things, the people and those things would be considered unclean for seven days. Verse 16, whoever in the open field touches one who is slain by a sword or who has died or a bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean seven days. And so all these different ways you might come in contact with the dead in a tent out in the field because y'all were at war and maybe it was your buddy got slain by the sword and you was there carrying him and you're unclean. Maybe you stumbled upon a grave site and you picked up, thought it was a chicken bone, but it's a human bone, but you touched a bone. Um, All these different ways that you came in contact with the dead, you will be considered unclean for a period of seven days. And it says in verse 17, and for an unclean person, they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer burnt for purification from sin and running water shall be put on them in a vessel. A clean person shall take hyssop, dip it in the water, sprinkle it on the tent on all the vessels of the persons who were there or on one who touched the bone, the slain, the dead or the grave. 
Then the clean person shall sprinkle the unclean. And on the third day and on the seventh day and on the seventh day, he shall purify himself, wash his clothes, bathe in water. And at evening, he shall be clean. So God gave for them a, a similar instruction, what they were to do to be made clean. And I just wanted to be clear that, you know, God said, this is who's dirty and this is how to get clean. I want you to be clear on who's dirty. If you were in the tent, touch the dead bone, touch him at war. God is very specific. He laid it all out. Why? Because God knows how we are. And God knows there'd be somebody out there saying, well, you know, I just I just touched the bone, you know, or I just, you know, I was just in the tent. But I didn't touch them. And so God just covered everything. I wanted to be absolutely clear. Don't want anybody to be unclear about your condition before me. And so he lays it all out and he makes it very clear what to do to be made clean. There's a remedy there. And I would just point this out because it's consistent with the nature and the character of God. Throughout scripture, God does make it clear who's spiritually, who's right, who's wrong, who's going to heaven, who's not. Um, God helps us out with that. You know why? Because I come into contact many times with people over and over again in my in my time as a Christian. I come in touch with people that are living in sin and rebellion in particular areas of their life. But they believe that. No, I prayed the prayer that one time. So I'm saying I'm good. I pray. I always hear this. I got baptized. I mean, I got baptized. And um, I heard that one today. You know, uh, I got baptized a few years back. OK, what's happened since then? Nothing. But I got baptized. I'm like, okay, so that did that didn't mean that, just, that didn't mean anything, right? Um, and I love that God put Galatians and God put some other scripture, First Corinthians six, and he put those things there. Galatians, he said, look, no fornicator, adulterer, idolater, drunkard, so forth and so on, murderer. None of those things. You're, if you live that as a lifestyle, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I love that that's in there, right? Because when I'm talking to somebody, I say, you're a drunkard, right? You get drunk on a regular basis. So according to Galatians five. You know, you can't inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, you live with your boyfriend or girlfriend. And you guys are fornicating on a regular basis like y'all are married. You know no fornicator is going to inherit the kingdom. Oh, you are you going out with that person and they married? You know no adulterer is going to inherit the kingdom? I don't care how many times you prayed the prayer. I don't care how many times you walked down the altar. I don't care how many harvest crusades you went to. I don't care how many times they dunked you in the water. You ain't going to heaven like this. You have to repent of that. And so I love that that's in there because you know why? There are people that feel like, I did that that one time. I'm good. And God says, no, I wanted to be clear that you're not good so you can get right. God doesn't put those things there to condemn. Like people think you condemning me. You make me feel bad. I'm going to go to other church where they make me feel good in my sin. And that's what people feel like. But God doesn't put it there to condemn you. Why? God doesn't do this so that the person that touched a bone would be like, you condemning me, man. So that they would actually know that. So your condition is unclean. So now, you know, you need to get clean so you can be right. God puts those things there to help us that we wouldn't be unclean and just stay unclean that I'd realize that, oh, that that behavior is not acceptable. If I continue in it, I'm not going to inherit the kingdom and I need to repent of it so I can get right with the Lord. Thank you for the clarification. Right. That's why God does that for us. Not not for condemnation, but that we might have proper convictions, that we might repent where needed and that we might get right with the Lord. Amen. And so. You and me shouldn't be shy about sharing those truths with the lost people around us because the church is becoming weaker and weaker in these areas. Not wanting to tell people even the truth at times. Just not just not wanting to say it because it's not popular. And the more churches that kind of bend the rules to make you know everybody happy, 
it will make it more difficult on the people that will stand for the truth. It's kind of like having a parent that lets you do whatever you want and have another parent that has some rules. The parent with the rules becomes the bad parent. They're really the good parent. They're really the parent that's like, no, you're going to do your homework. Well, when I go to dad's house, he don't, he don't bother me about my homework. Yeah, yeah. He don't see them F's either, you know. Um, you know, so but to the kid, to the little sinner, right? The, the parent that they like, that's the one that don't bug them. When I, I grew up with a split home, my mom was the one. She was like, You can't do that. You got you don't go to your friends. And it was like, Oh, I can't I can go to dad's house. And I'll go to my dad's house and just be like, Oh, all right, no rules, you know, TV all night. I mean TV till I fall asleep on a school night. This is the, the life over here. But I was doing terrible, <laughs> you know, it wasn't good for me. Spiritually speaking, we don't want to be looking for that, but there are people that want it. God makes it clear so we can be right because it's his intention, his heart that we be right with him. And we should see it that way, that it's for our benefit and it's for our blessing. It's not to bring shame or condemnation. It's to bring clarity and spiritual health to us. Last section here, verse 20. I'm sorry, before I go to verse 20, if you're writing notes, I want you to write down Hebrews 9. 13 and 14, and I'm going to read it to you real quick. Um, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 and 14, and um, I got a couple other places I'm going to look at later on, but just read this to you guys real quick. It says, if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more Shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, clean your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And here in the writer of Hebrews looks back to this here. And he said that that was good for them, right? As you go through the book of Hebrews, he's pointing out through the whole book how that God is greater everywhere. He's better than the angels. He's a better high priest. He's a better sacrifice. He's saying here, look, if that did that for them back there, that the sprinkling of the blood of the heifer cleansed them, then how much more for us, the blood of Jesus, the blood of the lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ, how much more does his sacrifice cleanse our conscience from dead works? Why? Why does God cleanse our conscience that we might serve the living God? So one of the things that we gain in our relationship with Christ, we're not just cleansed of our sins, but God's, I clean your conscience, right? You're no longer guilty. Everybody here that's got a past, because of the way that Christ cleanses us and forgives us, we don't have to continue to look back at what we used to be, right? God, my conscience is clear because I'm not what I used to be. God tells me I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have what? Become new, right? That's my condition now before God. I only get that in Christ. God's just washed away. Between me and you, it doesn't exist. It'll never be brought up again. Your sins as far as the east is from the west. Right. That's what God has done for you and I. So that before God, though, I could think about my past and all the junk. But God says, but between me and you, you got a clean conscience. We're good. The blood of Christ has cleansed you. That just does something good for me in my mental health. Right. I don't have any guilt. Anybody here has ever had, you know, kept secrets or had stuff that had you feeling guilty and you and you get it off your chest. Something that I had with my dad, even though I wasn't a Christian, I never lied to my dad because I just didn't have to. I would tell my dad the truth about most things. But I got kicked out of eighth grade for something that I did do. But when my dad first asked me, the heat was up real high. It was the day I got kicked out of school and my mom kicked me out of her house, told me I'm going to go stay with my dad. And so I'm out with my dad and he's like, so just don't want to know did you do it. And I said, no, nah, I didn't do it. 
And he never asked me again. But it bothered me, even as a non-believer, that my conscience was bothered. I'm like, man, I used to never lie to my dad, lied to my dad, you know. And I remember when I got saved, got saved. I had my little apartment. I got rid of it and I moved in with my dad for a period of time. And we went on a jog one morning and I remember just wanting to get that off. And I'm like, man, I got to tell you something. And I told him and he tells me he knew anyway. And, you know, he's like, I knew, but I'm like, okay, well, I just wanted to get that off of me, man. I did do that, you know, but I just didn't have the heart to say it then. But I remember now I just, I felt clean. Like there, now I'm back where I was with him, right? No lies in between us. When it comes to the Lord, God says, when you bring your dirt and your sin and you bring it to Christ and you come with all your junk and you, you give yourself to God, God says, conscience is clean. It's washed away. We are good. I forgive you. I wash it away. You are a new person. Walk in newness of life. You don't have to be under condemnation. You don't have to beat yourself up when somebody comes throwing your past at you. Just say, I know, I know, but I'm not that no more. And you just keep it moving. Your conscience is clean. God does that for us. Amen. Last two verses. 20. But the man who is unclean and does not purify himself, that person shall be cut off from among the assembly because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water purification has not been sprinkled on him. He is unclean. Once again, there's a person that would not be made clean. They wouldn't go through the process. God says not only are they unclean, but they're defiling the sanctuary of the Lord. Right. You can't just be in that condition. God says and keep coming in and out. Right. You need to, you're unclean. You're going to be outside for a while to get clean. If not, you're defiling this place. And for that reason, you're going to be cut off. That's the person that says, look, I know I'm dirty, but I'm going to keep coming like I'm clean and nobody knows. But you know who knows? God knows. He knows. He knows. There's nothing slipping by him. And so God says, you're going to be cut off from your people. Now, interesting because maybe everybody else doesn't know that they've done it. There's not like a sign on you that says you touch someone clean that you're unclean. But God says you come in here like that and defile this place like that. You're going to be cut off. And there's a few times we're going to see it shortly where people went in before the Lord in a wrong way. And God, they just died. The people didn't stop them. The people didn't say, hey, hey, you're dirty, you know, but God knew where they were. And God just killed them, boom, on the spot. And then it was made clear what the issue was. So what do we take from that? I take from this that God is saying, look, when I've gone through all the trouble to show you how to be clean, if you refuse it, it's on you. You're going to suffer the consequences. Your guilt will be upon you. When I've done everything that I've done, die on the cross, that you could be forgiven and you won't receive it, then you will die in your sin. You will pay the penalty for yourself. Verse 21, it is a perpetual statute for them. He who sprinkles the water of purification shall wash his clothes and he who touches the water of purification shall be unclean until evening. Whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean. And the person who touches it shall be unclean until evening. And so as we wrap this up for them, God says, look, it's a perpetual thing. This is an ongoing. This is the rule that I've given to you guys for purification. The person that goes through the process sprinkled on the third and the seventh day, they'll be pronounced clean and be able to come back. The person that won't do it will be unclean. Simple. The lesson is when you are unclean, God has explained what it is to be unclean. God said, I've made a provision that you could be made right. That was what he had done for them back here. It's important that we note that God gives us this amazing picture of Jesus Christ and what he was coming to do. That the red heifer is all symbolic of Jesus, that it was spotless, that it was without blemish, that it was without defect, that it had never had a yoke on it, that it was going to be sacrificed outside the camp, that it was going to be burned, all of it. 
all the way down and that just the sprinkling of it would be used in the process of forgiveness. Now, I didn't go into this whole thing because it's not my kind of thing, but if you're into this sort of thing, there's um, books and volumes. And when you read this chapter, the red heifer, there's prophecy buffs and people in Israel that are, they're looking for the red heifer so that they can reinstitute all these things. The reason I don't go into all that because those people are stupid, right? The fact that they're looking for a red heifer says that they don't receive Jesus, that they're not recognizing that he came once and for all. So I'm not really interested in those things. I read them and I, I know guys get all into it. It's like they're looking for the red heifer and because when they find a red, and I'm like, well, all that means is that they're stupid. All that means is that they rejected Jesus still and I won't celebrate or make it sound like a brilliant thing that they're doing. What they're doing is showing us how lost they are, that they still won't recognize that we don't need a heifer because we got the blood of the lamb, that they haven't read Hebrews. They don't believe Hebrews. They just, they're stuck somewhere else. So that's my issue with that. So I'm, that's why I didn't go into all that. If you like that sort of thing, like I said, there are volumes and volumes about what the Jews are doing and how they're preparing the temple and they're, they got a couple of these heifers over there and they're trying to preserve them and yah, yah, yah. But here's another issue if you're into this sort of thing. The way that they would do this back here, because it was a, a perpetual rule, they would take one heifer and burn it and keep the ashes. It would last for years. And before it ran out, they would get another heifer and do it. And they would add the leftover ashes of this one to that one. So it's always been a continuation of, so it's always like the same heifer. Well, when they got besieged and took it over at a point, they lost these ashes. So now they don't have them. And there are people that are doing digs and looking for them somewhere in Israel. So even should they have a heifer now, they can't find the other ashes from the original heifer. So if you're an Orthodox Jew, you still can't really do it. So all that to say it's stupid and you can't do it. And I'm just not really excited about all that stuff. But for anybody here that was, there's your little tidbit. Chew it up. Enjoy it. So in closing, I want you to write down a few verses. Uh, I just want to give them to you guys. And all these kind of point to and speak to what God has done for us in the way of cleansing our sin. And I just want you to have these verses. Write them in your notes. Write down Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And it says, speaking of Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And we're just reminded there that the work that Jesus came to do was a purge. For when he got done doing it, it says he sat down at the right hand of the father. That was the work that he came to do. And he didn't stop until he had completed the work. Also write down in Hebrews chapter nine, verse 14. And um, we looked at that one, 13 and 14. But, you know, how much more shall the blood of Christ through whom the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Know that you've been cleansed for a purpose, right? Having been cleansed, are you now serving the living God? Because that's why he cleaned us up, that we might be free to serve the living God. Write down 1 John chapter 1, this last one, verse 7 and 9. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 and 9. And this is just an important one to keep because like them, cleansing, we get forgiven of our sins, you know, as far as receiving Christ once. But we do need ongoing to make short account with the Lord and to deal with the fact that we sin beyond salvation. Everybody here sin since you've been saved, right? Well, we want to make those things right as well. I know that I'm forgiven ultimately, but I want to keep a clear conscience and a right heart before the Lord. So, so on a regular basis, we're taught. The disciples, when Jesus taught them how to pray, said one of the things they were to pray was that 
in their prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive me as I'm forgiving others on a regular basis because you're going to regularly blow it. First John 1, those 7 through 9, it says, for, it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us of all sins. If we're walking in the light, one with another, then the blood of Jesus, we have true fellowship and the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all sin. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not. So for that self-righteous person, I'm, I'm good. I don't sin no more. You know, they're holiness churches. That That's what they teach people that, you know, once you can really not sin, they're, they're ministers that'll tell you, I haven't sinned in years. And that's how I feel. I laugh. I'm like, man, kid, are you lying right now? You know, but they, because of the circle of churches they were in, holiness or whatever, they got to put on that they're sinless. They're living sinless. And uh, we all know better. Um, and I, I think what a burden to have to live with that. Right. What a burden it would be for me as a minister to have to show up and say, you guys, I just I, I never sin. I never sin. Y'all know better, right? Y'all know I sin. If y'all don't know. I'm going to do something in front of y'all so y'all know I'm not. But I sin. You know, I still got to I still got to keep accounts. I still got to confess and stay right with the Lord. We don't get to be sinless till we get to heaven. And that's why we're so thankful for the blood of Christ that keeps us. Um, and so the last verse, that Christian bar of soap, my pastor would always say, First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And what does it mean to confess? It means to speak the same. It means that I come before God and say, God, I did this and I was wrong. Your word says this is wrong, God, and I did it and it's wrong. I'm confessing. I don't confess to God to educate him on my sins. He already knows. But it's something about me having to tell him what I did. He wants me to do that. Did so you confess it and I'll forgive you and cleanse you? We'll be good. We'll start. We'll start from there. And so keep that as you walk with the Lord. If, if you find that you've gotten yourself dirty and you've messed up somewhere, then you want to confess it. And I believe that when you confess to God, I don't recommend that people pray like this. God, just forgive me for all my sins that I did maybe on that day. No, that's not confession. You need to be specific. God, forgive me for stealing that from that person. Forgive me for lying to that person. God, you'd be amazed at how it, the purifying effects happen to say what you did. You won't want to do that. You don't, you won't want to say the same thing over and over again. It'll get old. And what you'll find is you confess. And it starts getting old and you start saying the same thing over again. You start to feel about your sin the way God feels about it. You start to hate it. The thing that your flesh loves, your spirit despises. And you finally get to the place where you look for the Lord to help you and he will. That's how sanctification happens. But when you confess, you want to be honest in your confession. Say what you're confessing. I mean, say the words. I remember somebody told me that years ago. And as, as I had to start doing that, that impacted my walk with God. I'm more comfortable just giving the God, just forgive me for all my sins. But I realized how ineffective that was in my life. But having to say what I did and noticing that, man, I'm saying the same thing again and again and again. It, it, what it did on the inside of me was it made me start to hate the thing that my flesh kept wanting to go after. And it did. That's how sanctification was taking place. And so if you're struggling in some area, you need to be, be confessing. He, was, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. And you'll watch how he begins to work from the inside out to make you more like him. Amen. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word to us tonight, God. Thank you for um, this chapter. And uh, Lord, as we look at what you were doing for them, the Israelites, way back then, Lord, to bring about purification and cleanness, Lord. Uh, God, I, we also look to what you've done for us to purify us and to cleanse us, Lord, from our sin. 
uh, from our guilt, from our shame, from an empty life, that we walk out just even encouraged, Lord, um, just thankful for what you've done for us. Amen. You've been listening to another edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Thanks for tuning in. The book of Numbers, well, it has a lot of numbers, but there's much more in this book than that. During their long, drawn-out journey, the Israelites' faith in God is tested. In return, these wayward people test God's patience towards them, but God remains faithful and true in looking out for His chosen people. When you think about it, it's no different today. People disobey and test God's patience, while they also endure hardships and challenges that they wouldn't have desired. But in all, God remains faithful through and through. If you missed any part of this series in the book of Numbers, you can hear these messages by going to CalvaryInglewood.org. A Transforming Word is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. If you're ever in the Inglewood area, we'd like to meet you. Our service times are on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you're unable to visit in person, we stream our services online. For more information, such as directions and links to media pages, just visit CalvaryInglewood.org. Again, that website is CalvaryInglewood.org. Thanks for tuning in today to A Transforming Word. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through the book of Numbers, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. You might be surprised by how things in this book might apply to the very things you're working through in your own life. So be sure to join us again to hear and be challenged by a transforming word.